you have Christ living within you, you can break a string. (laughs) And it doesn't matter, does it? Because he who is in you and in me is greater than he who is in the world. I think we should break strings more often. That's awesome. God is mighty in this place today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we worship you. We love you, Lord. May we just take this time just to praise your holy name. There's none like you, Father. No one that can break through like you can. You know that there are probably several people here today, Lord, that need a breakthrough. They need a breakthrough in their job. They need a breakthrough in a relationship. They need a breakthrough in their marriage. They need a breakthrough in their child's life. They need a breakthrough spiritually. They need to be closer to you. They want to draw near to you. Father, I pray today, Lord, that they would do that. I pray today, Lord Jesus, that as we walk out these doors, that we would be changed, that we would be different, that we would be full of your love, full of your grace, full of your mercy, full of your compassion, and that we would spill out into this community and into this world that we would truly be salt and light, that we would be Jesus lovers, that we would love people the way that Jesus loved them, that we would see through the lens of Jesus, that we would reach out to the lost, that we would reach out to the hurting, to the hungry, to the thirsty, that we would join together as a body of believers and impact this world for you, Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for Matt Beasley's message last week. I was personally stirred. And I want to be different, too. Help us to continue that today, Lord. To not become lazy and not to be pew-sitters, but to be on the offensive side. That would be on the offense, and that we would go forward, Lord, with your plan, your purpose, your will for our life. Father, help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is great to be back, y'all. I can say that because I just graduated. <laughs> I can say that, yeah, I know. That's what you do after you get a master's degree. You can say y'all. It, it helps. Uh, I, I had a great time um, in Indiana for the last two weeks, and uh, I'm as truly missing this place, though. I cannot wait to get back because I knew that it was going to be a new chapter in Candace and I's life. It's going to be a new chapter for this church. Um, there's going to be some awesome things happening at Wendover Hills. And we're going to be a force to be reckoned with, I'll tell you that. But while I was in Indiana, um, I, 
I was able to experience a graduation ceremony of walking at Indiana Western University and, um, and receiving my diploma there. And one of the greatest parts of the, of the whole ceremony is that um, there's, this, there's this, and it happened too when I, when I, got, my, when I uh, got my bachelor's there as well, is where everyone is sitting in the gymnasium, the, the ones that are, are, have graduated and the, and, the, and the people are in the stands, and all of a sudden they just stand up and they just give this loud, thunderous applause, this standing ovation. And it's just like, man, for everything that I have worked for to get to this point, you know, and it's just great just to, just to sense that, you know, as, as people are sitting or standing and applauding you and everything. But then I started thinking, you know what? My degree is not going to mean anything if I don't put it into practice. There are going to be many that walk out of those doors with their diploma in hand and won't do anything with it. And then there will be others who will take it and will become world changers. And that's what I want to be. I want to be a world changer for Jesus Christ. People that uh, will put their faith into action. People like Matt Beasley. People like Rachel Sparks, who I'll explain in a minute. Matt, as I heard his message last week, I was, um, I was very touched by the message, and, and I know that many of you were as well, have shared with me. Uh, when I first met Matt, uh, I, I met him at a Starbucks. He wanted me to meet him there, and, and so we met in High Point and started talking, and all of a sudden, he was just going on and on and on about his passion for homeless people. And as he was just uh, sharing that with me, I was like, this guy is incredible. I mean, it just m- motivated me, you know, to, to action. And he was just so on fire for the Lord. I know that it was a blessing just to have him come. Uh, people like Matt Beasley really encouraged me, really sparked my faith. And then there's Rachel Sparks. She was uh, the first friendship I ever developed at Indiana Wesleyan University in 2003. And um, uh, through Facebook, I discovered what she has been up to lately. And I wanted to share a little bit about that. She is the founder and producer of The Sold Project. And this is her mission. Listen to this. The Sold Project is a grassroots organization dedicated to inspiring and empowering individuals to stop child prostitution before it begins. Sold is a film and an organization. Our hope is to tell the stories of children affected by prostitution and allow those stories to empower you towards action. Here's a clip of uh, what they're all about. Let me read uh, a little of a description of Rachel's bio before, if we can still try to get that up, that'd be great. Um, Rachel, listen to this. This is what I found out about. Rachel grew up around film, understanding the impact it has on our culture through the influence of her father, Jeff Sparks, president of Heartland Truly Moving Pictures. Graduating magna cum laude in business administration and adolescent ministry from Indiana Wesleyan University in 2006, 
She moved to New York City to work with children, never imagining a film or nonprofit work in her future. And during that time, her life changed forever when she heard that children were being sold into prostitution all over the world. No longer content to live as she had been, she began wrestling with how to get involved. The result, the sold project. And currently residing in, in Los Angeles, her full-time job has now become fundraising, networking, building a nonprofit organization, and working to complete this important film. Is it going to work? Yeah? Today, I want to be an encourager. I want to be a coach to you. I want to, be, um, I want to build upon uh, Matt's message from last week and encourage you to, to put your faith into action. You know, people like Matt, people like Rachel, what is it, I want to ask you, what is it about Matt and Rachel that sets them apart from the average church-going Christian? What separates them from the status quo? Well, I want to illustrate that answer, uh, the answer to that question by showing you my bike. This is my new road bike. Isn't it beautiful? Well, when I received this as a gift uh, last Christmas, um, all I wanted to do was, was ride it. And I was so excited to ride it for the first time. And you know what? I thought, well... I received it for Christmas. It's winter time. It's probably not the best time to ride it. There's probably not very many cyclists out on the road. So I'll just store it in my garage. When the seasons turned, all I wanted to do was ride my bicycle. I was so pumped to ride my bicycle. But then I thought, you know what? It's, uh, it's summertime. It's kind of hot out there. And, you know, I'm just, maybe I'll just store it in the garage a little longer. Every once in a while, I do go into my garage, and I do sit on it. And I imagine what it would be like to ride this bike. And I picture um, all this beautiful scenery, the sun, the clouds, um, the nice big houses around. Just to drive, just to ride this bicycle everywhere. I imagine it. 
But I always tell myself, for some reason, tomorrow I will ride you. Tomorrow I will ride this bike down the road. Tomorrow I will do it. And it still hasn't happened. This bike is a picture of your faith. All right? This could, be, this could be your faith right here. And you know what? You know what the Bible talks about this type of faith? In James 2.17, it says, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. Obviously, if I don't pedal anywhere, I can't go anywhere. I can play the part. I can sit on the bike. I can put a helmet on. I can look the part. I can place it outside or inside. But if I never pedal it, I will never go anywhere. And the same with your faith. If you never take that first step of placing your faith into action, you'll never know what God can do for you in your life and what you could do for God's kingdom. So right now you might be thinking, well, I can't start a ministry for the homeless and I can't create a non-profit organization halfway around the world understand that it might be overwhelming to think about but you know what god still has incredible plans for you and someday you might be surprised if you decide to take that first step of faith and obedience it's taking that first step that's the hardest isn't it so today we're going to look at the life of a man who we can relate to quite a bit if you want to turn with me to Judges chapter 6, we're not going to read all of his life, but we're going to um, um, target some of the scripture here. In Judges chapter 6, towards the beginning of the Bible. Judges chapter 6. Let me give you kind of the, uh, read these first six verses here to give you the backdrop of what we're going to talk about here and uh, what's been going on with the Israelites and their enemies. In chapter 6 it says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites... Uh, uh, were from Abraham. When Abraham's wife died, Abraham's wife Sarah died, um, he picked up a new wife, right? And her name was Keturah. And they had a baby boy named Midian, all right? And grew up to be an enemy of the Israelites. So the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves. Just imagine this. Shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Am Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock, or they came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men in their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Ravage it. Midian was so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. They were in a desperate situation there. But they weren't crying out to the Lord because of their sin. Because we see in the next verse it said they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. Because they were in a terrible place to be. But they weren't crying out for all the evil they've done for the past seven years, were they? They were crying out because of Midian. But they were crying out to the Lord. And... Um, 
So the Lord sends a prophet. And then he sends an angel of the Lord. And guess who he goes to? The man we're going to talk about today. He goes to Gideon. And Gideon, we find him at um, threshing wheat at a wine press, uh, in a wine press to keep it, it says, from the Midianites, which had been really tough to do because normally you would do that on top of a hill threshing that. And so we see the picture of, of, of the desperate situation that they're in. And I love this because the angel of the Lord peers to Gideon and says in verse 12, and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He calls a mighty warrior. If you know anything about Gideon, if you read um, um, chapters 6 through 8 and it talks about his life, in the beginning of his life, we, we, we don't really see him as a mighty warrior. It's amazing what God can see in someone that they can't see themselves. There may be some mighty warriors here today, some mighty warriors that need to be released. God can see things in you that you can't even see yourself. And he calls a mighty warrior. <laughs> How does Gideon respond? He just starts complaining. Um, he's like, he's like uh, the Lord is with us. Hello, like the last seven years, uh, we've, been in, we've been oppressed. We've been uh, treated like slaves. We've been miserable. How can you say the Lord is with us? And he continued to complain. But the Lord, says in verse 14, turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? That had been a pretty crazy statement to make because for the last seven years, remember, they've been oppressed by this, by this, by this group of people. And there's like no way. Gideon's like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this? He says, but Lord, uh, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in, in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, which is his promise, which is awesome, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. He just told him right there. That's what's going to happen. You're going to defeat the Midianites. Clear as day. But how does Gideon respond? He goes, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. How many of you have been like that before? God, give me a sign. I need to know by tomorrow at 5 o'clock p.m. if I put the Cheez-Its on the counter and my little three-year-old eats it, that's a sign that I should go through with this deal. If not, then I will not. Right? Ridiculous. We, I mean, and God has spoken to him and he's like, give me a sign, Lord. Give me a sign. And so what does the angel of the Lord do here? He's like, bring out some bread, bring out some meat, put the broth over it, set it on this rock. And it says the angel with the tip of his staff touched the rock and the rock inflamed and consumed the bread and the meat. Right there I'd been like, hey, that's a sign, I think. You know, I think we got it, but... But no, but no, Gideon later on has a fleece problem. He's like, I'm going to lay out this wool fleece, God. If, this is, if you're really speaking to me, if you're really telling me I need to go and fight these guys, please make it clear to me. As if that wasn't clear enough. It's like a big sign right here. It's like, I am speaking to you, Gideon, all right? And he goes, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. And uh, toward the end of uh, chapter 6, uh, Gideon's like, all right, I'm going to put a wool fleece on the ground. 
And um, if there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'm going to know that it's you. And so the next day, that's exactly what happens. And so he wrings out the fleece and, and creates a bowl full of water and everything else. Still, <laughs> I need another sign. God, it's not clear to me yet. <laughs> I know we all laugh at him, but how many times have we done it ourselves? And so he goes, okay, this time, why don't you make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew? So the next morning, that's what happens. The fleece was dry, the ground was dew. So Gideon, time after time, questioning God, asking God for a sign. You know, I think about that, and, and how many times do we question and wait on God so long that we actually just pass up on the opportunity that God has given us? I've heard of people that have waited so long that they've died. <laughs> and never done anything with what God had given them. And that's a sad place to be. Now, how do I know the voice of God? How do I know? Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. You've got to get to know your Savior if you're going to expect to hear from Him. Right? And I'm not talking this audible voice. I mean, God can speak however He wants. But what I'm saying is, well, He'll lead you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And so, after all that question, it just kind of reminds me, when I was back in Indiana and I was... I was uh, Getting off of the interstate at one point, uh, I don't know if, if you remember this, hon, but uh, when we approached this stoplight, over to my left was just this um, overgrown grassy area. All right, Other places were nicely mowed and everything, but this was an overgrown grassy area. And it was funny because there was a little sign there. It was about, about yay big, all right, about this size. And, and it said on it, do not mow. Now, I'm sure it had a great reason for that and everything else, but I thought, what a picture of our life. I want to hold on to this. I don't really want to move out of my comfort zone. I don't really want to do anything with this. I'm going to keep my overgrown grass. Thank you very much. <laughs> do not mow, it said. That was what it was. And I see Gideon like this. It was taking him a long time to take that first step of faith. He kept using excuses. He kept questioning God. And so we come to the battle. Now, it says in verse seven, seven, chapter 7, verse 1, early in the morning, um, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The spring of Herod in, um, in Hebrew actually means trembling. <laughs> of course they were trembling. Do you know why? If you're a numbers person, if you're a math person, uh, you'll find that in chapter 7, verse 3, and chapter 8, verse 10, you'll see what the uh, lopsidedness of this, of this battle was going to be. You see, they had 135,000 soldiers. And Gideon had 32,000. The ratio of 4 to 1. So Gideon against, uh, Gideon's one man against four people, like right here, just four. One on four. He's already outnumbered. They already had uh, more of the uh, uh, weapons and everything else, and, and they are already uh, the favorites to win. All right? In everyone else's eyes. But God says, you know what? I think we ought to just... Uh, I, think, I think you got too many, too many men here. Yeah, I, I think 
I think I really want this battle to be spectacular, so I'm going to reduce your men. For all those that are scared and don't want to fight, let them go home. So what happens? 22,000 of them leave. If you're Gideon, you're like, no. (laughs) 10,000 remained. Now the ratio is 14 to 1. Like a couple rows here against me. And then God's like, no, no, I, I think we need to reduce it just a little bit more because I really want this to be an incredible faith event. So he's like, take your men to the water. I want to see how they drink. Uh, those who take the water in their hands and lap it like a dog, separate them from the ones who will get down on their knees and drink out of the water. So 300 of them lapped like a dog, and then 9,000, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> rest of them um, drank from the knees down into the water. And God's like, let's take the 300. And he's like, no, I thought you meant this. No, let's take the 300. The 300, that'll work. That will be the man that you need to fight with to defeat this enemy. So now you know what the ratio is? 450 to 1. I'm guessing there's about close to 100 in here. Times that. So you get, four, I mean, think that. Three or four congregations. It's one. 300 men fighting 135,000 soldiers. We would say, can't be done, no way. No way. We can kind of relate to Gideon a little bit here, can't we? And we have a little bit of sympathy for Gideon, don't we? I mean, just a little bit. That's pretty hard to have faith to believe that God can take 300 men and defeat an army of 135,000. So we serve a huge God, don't we? And so what happens is God gets... See, this is great. God knows you so personally that he knows that you need encouragement. And so what he does here is before the battle even begins, that night, it says in chapter 7, in verse 7, or verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8 there, verse 9, I'm sorry, verse (laughs) 9. Let's go down. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. Because remember, he promised that from the very beginning, but he had all these signs. If you're afraid to attack, see, listen to this encouragement. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. All right, so, so Gideon and Pura go down to this camp, right? And it's, and it's late at night. And, and this is it's almost comical because right off the bat, um, they hear this conversation being spoken, all right? And the conversation goes like this. Gideon arrived, in verse 13, just as, the, as a man was telling a friend his dream. He says, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now you may be picturing like this huge piece of bread, all right? This massive piece of bread, but that's not the picture of what it gives here. A barley loaf. Just imagine a bagel, all right, being rolled 
into these tents and knocking it down. Imagine, let's put another perspective here. How many of you like to go bowling? Okay, no one. Great. Okay, yeah, yes. Okay, he's got some bowlers. Uh, imagine taking a, a, a BB gun BB, you know what I'm saying, one of those little size, and, and, you're, and you're in your lane, and everyone's looking at you like you're crazy, and you go, and that thing takes forever to get there. It's like weaving its way down the, uh, down the uh, alley there. And all of a sudden, when it reaches the pins, it just explodes the pins and just knocks them out of the way. It's a full strike. Everybody's looking at you like, wow, what just happened there? That's the picture that God can do with just a little bit of faith, a mustard seed of faith. And that picture of that barley bread was, um, see, the, the poor people, the impoverished people in that day ate the barley bread. And it was showing how how severe it had gotten with the Israelites. The Israelites were about to defeat them if they were to take that step forward. So they're hearing this dream, and then the friend of that, the enemy of the friend right there um, was able to interpret it, which is great. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine this being in this conversation? I mean, you're about to fight your enemy, and you hear this conversation. It just says, it's hysterical. It says, verse 14, this can be nothing more than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. He says that. We're going to get defeated. And as Gideon hears that, and Pure hears that, they head back. And it says in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. That was his first response. I want you to know this today, that a step forward in faith generates a renewed passion for God's plan. A step forward in faith generates a renewed passion for God's plan. Look at what happens. He worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And he came up with a plan. See, before that, he wasn't very confident at all, was he? Uh, I've got to have a sign here, a sign there, a sign. Uh, he starts singing that one song about signs. Isn't there a song about signs? Anyway, he starts singing about, maybe it was back in the 80s. Um, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah, you sing it. Oh. Maybe we'll have the worship band come up and sing that later. Um, he has to have all these signs, but he's confident now. God has encouraged him. He has helped him to take that step of faith. And he does so. And so they have this plan which doesn't seem like a very good plan, but it's a plan. They've got jars, and they've got um, trumpets. And they blow the trumpets at once, and they break the glass jars. And the Lord, it says, throws them into confusion, and they start fighting themselves. They didn't have any weapons to bring with them. And it's all by faith. And the Lord threw the enemy into confusion. Somebody calls this a psychological warfare. And they just start fighting themselves. How funny would that be? Now, I said during the middle watch of the night. So the middle watch um, would be between 12 and 4 a.m. So it was probably a little bit after 12 sometime. Probably when people were just about ready to get to sleep. You know how you are when you're just about there. You know, you're just like, oh, I'm about to fall asleep. And then boom, something happens and you're like, where am I at, Right? I mean, there's a lot that was going on, and, and the Lord threw them into confusion, and they fought each other, and they defeated each other. 
pretty funny stuff. And so Gideon and them just chased the rest of them down and slay them. 300 defeat 135,000 soldiers. What God can do with just a little bit of faith when we take that first step. And if we truly want to step into God's plan, we need to learn some quick principles from Gideon's life. Number one, we need to deal with the sin. We've got to deal with the sin issue. Uh, we didn't read this, but in chapter 6, before God could move Gideon along with this plan, they had to, he asked him to get rid of the altars that they were serving. They were serving these gods, the God of Baal, and, and, they were, um, and he wanted to have him demolish those and then take his father's, one of his father's greatest bulls. Now, I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but if you raise bulls, you know what I'm talking about. Where's Richard? Is there Richard in here? You raise bulls, you know what? Don't mess with my bull, right? So he takes one of the best of the bulls and, and sacrifices it on the altar of Baal. Whew. Take care of the sin problem. What is it in your life that you're worshiping as a God? What is taking the place of God in your life? Before you can move on in God's mighty plan, you've got to get rid of the sin problem. Take it to the Father. He will forgive you of your sins. God is merciful. And so take care of the sin problem. Next, develop a willing heart. It took, it took Gideon a long time to develop this. But believe me, God is so patient with you. Develop a willing heart. And then finally take action. Do something. Do something about it. There's a time that, you know, I think we, we love to, to quote the scripture uh, to wait upon the Lord, all right? And that's a great verse. But to wait upon the Lord does not mean to, to sit still forever. To wait upon the Lord can also mean action while you're waiting as well. So we've got to be um, aware of that. Take action. So sometime today, this is what I want to do. I want to challenge you to do this. I know Matt, Matt challenged you with some things as well. I want to challenge you um, along with what Matt challenged you as well. And that is this. Um, my professor, when I was at, back at Indiana Wesleyan this past week, or uh, two weeks ago, when I had that intensive class for one week long, it was like 8 to 5 every, every day, uh, Dr. Elmer Towns was my professor, and he challenged us with a uh, greater faith event, he called it. Something that's going to stretch you that you have never been stretched before. Something that is going to stretch your faith to pray to God for, for greater faith for that. Because a lot of times we need that. To journal your experience, whether you failed or whether you succeeded or, or whatever it may be, to journal it and to see what you learned from that experience. So what I want you to do is today think of something that will stretch you. Maybe it's to lead someone to Christ. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe it's praying for a financial need. Um, just to give it real quick, um, I had to come up with $1,500 to fix my blazer before, we do, uh, before the trip, our, our engine went out and the blazer again. <laughs> just love that blazer. And uh, went out and, and you know, uh, what, what had to get a... A, a used engine along with some other things and we got a great deal again from, from, from Honest Engines but we had to come up with $1,500 and 
you know, by the time we get back, we got to support our, 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 our local businesses. And we want to support our local businesses, like Triad Auto as well, and like, and like Limstone. Like, we want to support our local businesses. So I'm like, Lord, I, I thought, I thought, after you challenged me with that, I'm like, Lord, okay, I don't have $1,500, <laughs> but I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you, Father, to give me greater faith for this. It's not something that I'm buying a boat and going off on a joyride. This is like something we really need. We need a vehicle to be able to drive. So I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed consistently. And you know, um, I wrote, as I was journaling this, I was so excited because like the Monday before um, we had to get back, um, I had... Uh, just finished officiating my brother's wedding, so I received $100 for doing the wedding. Oh my God, you're working. You're working. Um, uh, came to graduation the, uh, the, the, the following week, right, on Saturday, this past Saturday, and, and you received money for graduation. I was like, booyah. Put that money toward that. I'm like, all right, God, you know, I mean, I'd love to spend it on myself. Believe me, I would want to spend it on myself, but that's not the time. So I got that on there, and then um, uh, uh, something else happened, and then we had um, just enough saved, and we came up, $1,500 in cash, ready to hand to our business. God can do it, but can you have the faith in him to believe he can? A greater faith event, stretch yourself, whatever it may be, Okay write about it, journal about it, let me know about it, share it with your church, and let's keep encouraging one another, all right? Take action, take action, take action. Um, you know, it's fun to watch passionate people, isn't it? Uh, one of my, uh, the only time I will ever watch golf on TV is if Tiger Woods is playing. It's my favorite golfer, hands down. I will not watch golf unless Tiger Woods is playing. If he's playing, I'm going to be watching, all right? He is an amazing golfer. But what's awesome is that he's so enthusiastic, so passionate about what he does. Pumping the fist. You know what I'm I'm saying? He does that pump. I can't do it, but he does it well. I mean, he pumps that fist, you know. Yeah. And uh, I just just love watching him. And one thing that really intrigues me about Tiger Woods is Sunday. Sunday is the final round of of the uh, tournament all the time. It ends on Sunday. And on Sunday, he wears what color? He wears red. And one writer had an interesting spin on this. He said, scientists from the University of Rochester in the United States determined that the color red can influence performance. So several years ago, scientists from the University of Durham in England found that competitors and teams that wore predominantly red-colored jerseys won more often than those who wore blue or white. Scientists believe that the color red signals intimidation in the world of animals. (laughs) Tiger? and implies aggression and dominance. They submit that the effect of red could arise from a deep-seated response that works subconsciously to put opponents on the defensive. Tiger wears red on Sundays, and he wins often. Christians wear red on Sundays. Christians wear red on Mondays, on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, on Fridays, 
and on Saturdays. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all sin. There's power in the blood. If we're to be motivated by what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, may that spur you to putting your faith into action. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this time to be able to be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family. Oh, it's so good to be back with my family. I pray, Father God, that um, together that we would challenge one another, that we would encourage, encourage one another, that we would build each other up to be able to go forth and spread your love to a community that desperately needs you. Father, it's not easy taking that first step, as you well know, putting our faith into action. Uh, many times it can be quite scary, nerve-wracking, uneasy. <laughs> but Lord, please show us, as you did Gideon, that once we do, you can do anything with that little bit of faith. I pray, Father, that we would increase in faith, that we would believe you not only in the small things, but in the big things as well, that we know that your arm is not too short, that we know, Father, that you are the most powerful being anywhere. You are the most powerful. You, are, you, you created us. You created the world. You created the heavens. There's nothing too tough for you. You are God alone. There's none like you. There's none before you. You are God. And I pray, Father, that we would just tap into that today. That we would be reminded that because you, you live, that you live within us, that all things are truly possible. We love you, Father God. We praise you today. And may we do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen.